Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and uh, 12 of us went to Cincinnati Wednesday through yesterday, actually, for a conference that was all day Thursday from like 8.30 in the morning till 9 at night, and then from 8.30 in the morning on Friday till 5 in the evening. And uh, the purpose, or I should say the theme of the conference was Awaken the Wonder. And uh, the premise of the conference was that we who work in church work often forget why we're doing it. We get so busy with what's going on in our lives and in the ministry that we forget the wonder. And I'd sort of like to introduce that to you by just simple, a couple simple things. I'm a, actually, I'm a very simple person at heart. I, every time I turn on my light switch at home and a light comes on, I'm amazed. I, I really am, you know, and especially since I wired my basement and I don't know how electricity works. But they all work. And even I have three-way switches, you know, thanks to Ed Cell. But I don't know how electricity works, but I still use it. You know, and I don't know how, I got in my car this morning, turned on a key. I don't know how a gas engine works. And yet it doesn't keep me from driving to church. And it actually it amazes me. And I, I drive a 97 Toyota right now, so it really amazes me when it starts. But, but the bottom line is, so many times we forget to be amazed. I mean, you woke up this morning, you're here. I mean, that, that's the first thing. It's amazing that we're here. We're, we're, we're awake again for another day. And, and the other thing is, we looked outside and the sun was shining. Well, depending on what time you got up, the sun wasn't shining when I got up because it's still dark. But the sun came up. It was beautiful. It's a beautiful day out there. And, and many times, we're so busy. And in this technological age in which we live, we're so enamored with our technical devices that we just forget. And one of the, like, the little catchphrase of the conference was, wow, not how. Now, I would say, wow and how. Okay, we want to start with wow, though. Start with wow. We wake up and go, wow. That, every day when I wake up, here's what I do. First thing I go, God, I thank you I'm still alive. I do. I'm getting that age where you start to do that. You'll understand it someday if you don't yet. The second thing I do is I say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then the third thing I do is say, I say, God, give me 20 more years. 20 more years. That's what I want. You know, good years. After that, you know, okay. But I want 20 more years to be able to tell people about the wow. And to experience the wow every day of my life. And I have this t-shirt. You're probably wondering, why am I holding a t-shirt in my hand? At the conference, they gave away free t-shirts. What good's a conference without a free t-shirt, right? It, actually, it really wasn't a free t-shirt. There's no such thing. Uh, but anyway, the t-shirt says, stop thinking. And when I saw that t-shirt, people were wearing it. I went like, no. All my life, I've been trying to get Christians to start thinking. Why would I want to wear a t-shirt that says, stop thinking? But it's the fine print. The fine print says, stop thinking of it as your money. It was from Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you ever heard of Dave Ramsey, but stop thinking of it as your money. And then it says Psalm 24, verse 1. Now, I didn't look this up, but I'm pretty sure that Psalm 24, verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Or in every, other words, everything belongs to God. And if you realize there's a God who created everything in all the universe, then you ought to be and I ought to be pretty amazed at that. And we should start with wow. So that's some background. That has nothing, well, it has everything to do with the message, but that's sort of like the appetizer. Now comes the main course, okay? So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are worthy of our saying wow. We thank you that you are a God who loves us and cares about us, even if we don't love you and care about you. We thank you, God, for this new day that you've given us in which we've been living. And God, I pray 
that your Holy Spirit will fill all of us in this room today, that you'll open our hearts, that we'll receive your message. And I pray that we'll go out of this place. If we didn't come in saying, wow, that we'll go out. When we look at your culture, your world, your, your creation, your people, and the stuff that you have allowed us to create ourselves, that we'll say, wow, first, before the how. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So back in 2010, my daughter Emmy and I were on an airplane headed to Tibet. I was not excited about that. Uh, we were on a mission trip, and I had been to Tibet once before back in 1998. And the only time I had been there, we spent three days in Lhasa, Tibet, the capital city of Tibet. And the elevation of Lhasa, Tibet is only 11,995 feet above sea level. But I get altitude sickness when I go to Denver. Denver's 5,280 feet above sea level. So I, I got sick. And my altitude sickness has headaches. I can't breathe and I vomit. So it's not really that much fun. And, and I was looking forward to this trip in which we were going to start in Lhasa. We'll go, go to the airport and then, and then go to Lhasa. And then we were going to travel west and we were going to end up 10 miles from Mount Everest. 17,200 feet above sea level. So I was not excited. And as the plane landed, we got off and immediately, I mean, as soon as we got out of the airport, my head started hurting. I had, had trouble breathing. And when we got to Lhasa, it was lunchtime. So we went into the restaurant, and I ordered a yak burger. Uh, and in 20 minutes, I found out why it was so named. I thought it was because of the kind of meat it was made from. But anyway, uh, the next day, we got in a bus. We started heading west. And in a couple of days, we got to 10 miles from Mount Everest. Awesome view, but 17,200 feet above sea level. So I was, I mean, it was the worst I've ever felt in my life. And, and at the end of the day, we traveled down to the low point of 15,479 feet at Namso Lake. It's the second highest place on earth where there's actually a lake. It's a beautiful lake uh, if you can breathe enough to see it. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, I went in. It was, it was dinner time, and every place we stopped, it seemed like it was a meal time. And it was dinner time, and we go into the restaurant. It's already getting dark because it gets dark there pretty early. Anyway, um, uh, I felt like I was breathing through a straw. My head was pounding. But I see this guy sitting at the table. He looks like a Westerner. So I said hello, and he said hello. And I knew that there was somebody I could talk to. And momentarily, I was distracted from my misery, and I struck up this conversation with him. And I found out he was an archaeologist. And he had already been in Tibet for two or three months, I forget. And he was there to study the culture and customs of the people. And, and as we talked, he said to me, well, why are you here? And the conversation turned when I said, well, I'm here on a mission trip. He goes, oh, so you're here to help the poor Tibetan people turn from their animism or their Buddhism to Jesus so they won't burn in hell forever, right? Now, because of the lack of oxygen in my brain and in my lungs, I was momentarily speechless. Momentarily. <laughs> then, I, you know, ordinarily something like that, I would, I would have taken that on like Usain Bolt, you know, Usain Bolt got a track meet. You know, I would have run with that one. But no, I, I just said something like that. And so he continued, he goes, why do you think your religion is so much better than everybody else's religion? I've been, in, I've been in dozens of countries all over the world. I've been in all these different people groups. And I'll tell you this, everybody's religion is good for them. It works for them. I don't know why you think that you have to come in here and try to get them to be followers of Jesus, Christians. Why do you think that? Now, in the middle of this conversation, Pastor Mark Geppert, the founder of SEAPC, Southeast Asia Prayer Center, and the, the leader of the trip, he walked by. He said, hi. I said, hi. They, we said, hi. I said, you want to stop and talk with us? He goes, no. He goes, I'm going to bed. And so he left and went to bed. I should have known. That should have been a cue, but it wasn't, you know, for me because I was oxygen deprived. But anyway, 
before we get on with what actually happened after that, I want to tell you what the take-home point is for the day. If you're new here today, we seek to make one point every week that we'll take home, that we'll think about it, reflect on it, pray about it, and hopefully live it out in the week ahead. And and this week's take-home point is this. Religion and irreligion enslave, only the gospel frees and saves. Religion and irreligion enslave, only the gospel frees and saves. And so today we're going to look at the question, this series is called The Reason for God, and we've been dealing with these hard questions that are up on the screen. And today's question is, is Christianity right and all the other religions wrong? Before we can answer that question, we need to make a few definitions. The the first definition is in our take-home point, religion. What is religion? I'm going to give you a very brief definition of religion. It comes from Pastor Timothy Keller in his book, The Reason for God. And he says that religion is salvation through moral effort. Religion is salvation through moral effort. In other words... I do good things and good things will happen to me. I do bad things and I will suffer bad consequences. And if I do enough good things, I'll please the deity if there is one in my religion and I will be saved. And by that definition, Christianity can be a religion. There are some people who, who what they do is they read their Bible religiously. They, re, they pray religiously. They do it because they want to show everybody that they're good people, they're better than other people, and, and maybe God will be pleased with them if they do it. So Christianity can be a religion. Then what is the gospel? The gospel is simply this, salvation by grace. The gospel means good news, and the good news is there's a God who created everything, and even though we turn away from Him... He loves us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to rise again, to go back to heaven, to send his Holy Spirit to everyone who trusts in him so that we can have a new life from the inside out. And and that's what the gospel is. It's salvation by his grace, what he did, not by what we do. And then irreligion is simply living how we want to live. Irreligion is I wake up and I say, I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing today. There's no borders. There's no boundaries. There's no rules. And so the premise that I'm operating with today, the take-home point for today, is that both religion and irreligion enslave us. It's only the gospel that frees and saves us. So now back to Namso Lake, 15,479 feet above sea level, and my friend, the archaeologist. And so my friend, the archaeologist, asked me again, why, why, why? Why do you think that what you have to offer is so much better than what everybody else has to offer? And I said, I put it, I said, look, 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 how about this? If I had the cure for cancer, wouldn't I be obligated, morally obligated, to share it with more than just my people group? Wouldn't I be morally obligated to share it with everybody that I could so that people wouldn't die? Well, I have something so much better than a cure for cancer. I have salvation that that will change me from the inside out, change you from the inside out, and will give us life not just for now, but forever. And then he said this. He said, look. Why do you think your truth is the only truth? Why do you think your hope is the only hope? And if my brain weren't so oxygen deprived, what I would have realized was he was saying, I don't believe in absolute truth. There is no such thing as absolute truth. And so what you think isn't even true. And and the reality is the reason why Pastor Mark Geppert had gone to bed, he realized I was dealing with a sophomore. Okay, none of you know what that is. A sophomore is a Greek word. Sophomore is a Greek word, two Greek words, actually. Sophia means wisdom. Moros means fool. We get our word moron for it. So a sophomore is a wise fool. 
Okay, if you're physically a sophomore in high school or college, I'm not talking about you. Well, I might be. I might be, but I'm probably not. Okay, a sophomore in this case, what Pastor Mark was saying is, this guy's a wise fool. It doesn't matter what you say to him because he thinks he he's, thinks he's knows it all. And, and what, what I would find through a two-hour conversation was Pastor Mark was right. We were going to talk for a long time. We were going to go around in circles. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to tell you what happened at the end of the day and just yet. What I want to do is turn to the Bible right now. I want to turn to the Bible, to the Gospel of Matthew. And what I want to do is I want to tell you what happened when Jesus was dealing with some sophomores. Jesus was dealing with a group of sophomores who were the most important group of sophomores in uh, Jewish religion. And that is the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they knew everything. The Pharisees thought that they had the way to please God. They thought if, they, if you would do what they told you to do, if you would follow their moral truth, it would lead to salvation. And so, mostly, the Pharisees were arrogant. And the reason that they thought that, that, that they were right was because they had a good basis. And, and a lot of sophomores do. The, the good basis was the Jewish faith and the law of Moses. But Jesus is going to take on the Pharisees today. And I'm going to do something I've never done before at New Life. I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture. And I'm really not going to say anything about the Scripture. I'm not going to you know, expose it like we usually do. I'm just going to read it. And, and I'm just going to let it sort of sink in as I'm saying it. And then I'm going to make some comments about the overall idea, but not the verses itself. Because... Most of you in the room probably think of Jesus as a nice guy. He's not a nice guy. Most of you probably think that Jesus is, you know, gentle and meek. And he has those qualities, but that's not how he is. And I mean, he's going to be radically condemning of this group of people. In fact, we're going to hear the word woe seven times. Now, that's the English translation of the Greek word ooh-I. Ooh-I. Sounds like it would fit in like the chorus of a rock song, right? Ooh-I. However... The word ui in Greek actually means damn you. Damn you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Most Bible translators won't use that word, though, so they say woe to you. So listen to what Jesus says. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who uh, would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, that is a follower of your religion. You make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. In other words, you should tithe everything without neglecting the others, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, 
But within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others. But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. Saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves and you, that you and your sons are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some of you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So why take the time to read all that? It's very simple. I want to show you what Jesus thinks of religion. I want to show you what Jesus thinks of religion. He's against it. Jesus is very against religion, against the idea that we can do moral effort, and by our moral effort, we will be able to gain salvation. Jesus condemned these people, not once, not twice, but seven times. You may or may not know that in the Bible, seven is the number of perfection, completion. So therefore, Jesus was completely or perfectly condemning the Pharisees as hypocrites, And what he wants us to realize is that is what religion leads us to. It always does. And some of you are sitting there, well, that's that's why that archaeologist up on the mountain was against religion. That's why. And he was irreligious. That 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 archaeologist, he sort of told me through his conversation. You know, it was sort of funny because I had no oxygen in my lungs. I listened longer than I've ever listened to anybody. And I found out by my listening that this guy was irreligious. He didn't believe in any religion. He didn't believe in any God. And so he just did whatever he wanted. And he knew that when he died, he was just going to be dead. And, and you know, the, the, he was going to go back into the earth and the cycle of life and circle of life and all that. He didn't believe in anything else. And, and as, as we think about that, religion or irreligion, how does religion enslave us? It enslaves us by making us do one of two things. We either feel superior to everybody else because we're better than everybody else. Or it makes us feel like worms. Because we aren't living up to the standard. And if we feel like worms and we're not living up to the standard, then we're enslaved. And if we feel superior to everybody else, that doesn't sound like slavery, but it really is. Because if you live that kind of life, pretty soon nobody likes you very much. <laughs> you know, they talk about you behind your back and they don't really want to be around you very much. But what about the irreligious person? What about the person who just says, I'm free to do whatever I want? Guess what? You're not. I've talked to a lot of people who take freedom to the extreme. We call them addicts because that's what freedom does to people. It it, it enslaves us. It makes us addicts. People who take alcohol or other drugs or pornography or anything, any pornography is too much, but you come to a point where you can't stop it. Anything that's a good gift from God can be also become an addiction when we uh, practice it in excess. It, it starts to rule our lives. So religion and irreligion enslave, only the gospel frees us. And what I'm going to do right now is uh, I, I want to remind us of one very, very important thing before we look at the next scripture. You could hear what I'm saying, and you could say, well, I'm, I'm with you, Chris. I, I just want to have the grace of Jesus Christ in my life. I want to have the, 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 that new life, and I don't want to have to do anything. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we will never become good people and we will never become righteous in our own effort. 
I had one of the greatest gifts that ever happened to me was it happened when I was five years old. Uh, my mother sent me to bed early. Uh, I don't know what I did, but I was always doing something that got me sent to bed early. Anyway, I went up to my dad's closet. I got out his shotgun. I loaded it, and I pointed it at the floor because I was going to shoot my mom, and I pulled the trigger. Um, I, fortunately, I didn't shoot my mom, okay? But I was trying to shoot my mom, and I learned as a five-year-old that I wasn't a good person. That was a great gift to me because I've never lived under the delusion that I'm a good person. And some of you have known me, you know, maybe for a short time, and you think, wow, he's a really good person. No, I'm not. I have a really good God. And his grace is in my life, and, and that's what you see. If you see anything good in me, credit to God. You see anything bad in me, that's that Chris Marshall that tried to shoot his mom when he was five. Because he's still in there. He, he's still the same. He didn't grow up, because he doesn't. But this is what's the truth. The truth is, God changes us radically from the inside out. We become New people. That's what Jesus said. Born again. That's what Paul said. The old is finished. The new has come. But then Paul went on to say, but we still had this struggle because the old person is still in there. But Paul at the end of his life said, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus comes in and his goodness comes in. So let's look at two scriptures that make this very clear that it's not about religion. It's about the gospel. And the first one comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, Paul wrote this, Apostle Paul wrote these words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if anybody ever understood grace, it was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee before he trusted Jesus, before Jesus encountered him personally and changed his life from the inside out. Paul started preaching to Gentiles, which no Pharisee would ever do. A Gentile is just not a Jew, right? But so Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that so important to us? Because here's what's going to happen. If you're living as a Pharisee, as a religious person, if you're living as an irreligious person, and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to let Jesus be Lord. That means owner of my life. I'm going to let him save me from sin and death and for this new life. What's going to happen immediately is people around you, if you tell them, I'm a Christian, they're going to go, you think? I don't see any change. They're going to condemn you. People will condemn you because they'll say, you're supposed to be such a Christian. Well, then why did you lie to me? You're supposed to be such a Christian. Then why do you still have that anger? You're supposed to be such a Christian. Then why are you still doing the same stuff you used to do? And they'll condemn you. And if they don't, the devil will. The devil will whisper in your ear. You're not different. You're not different. You're not different. And Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's because when the devil's whispering into our ear... (laughs) The Holy Spirit is whispering into our heart, you are different. You're a new person. Your life is radically different. And the outside behavior will take longer to change. And what will happen is people will call us hypocrites. And when somebody says to me, you're a hypocrite, I go, yeah, I am. No kidding. (laughs) I am. Because I, 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 I say that I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to show love and I don't always show love. And I say that I'm going to you know, work hard and I don't always work hard. And I say that I'm going to do the things that I'm going to do. And I don't always do them because the old Chris Marshall's still in there and there's this struggle going on. And sometimes the Holy Spirit wins more times than not these days. But there's still times when the hypocrite shows up who says one thing and does something different. And so I don't ever deny that I'm a hypocrite. That would just be ludicrous because if I deny it, then I become... A religious person. And there's too many religious people in churches these days. You know, and, and a lot of times what people think church is for is to come and get a little rest, maybe a little sleep for half an hour while the preacher talks. Or some new rules to go out and live in the week ahead because if I live out the rules this week, then I'll feel good. And if I don't live them out, I'll feel bad. 
but I'll try harder next week. That's religion. Religion kills. It enslaves. You know, the thing that's so cool is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in fact, the next verse we're going to look at, it comes to us from uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Say that with me. For we are God's masterpiece. Say that with me. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The gospel is so simple. It says we were messed up. We couldn't do anything about it, so God sent Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He paid the penalty for our sin. He showed us that he's God, and he gave us this new life, and that's why we don't get to boast about it. We don't get to boast about it. In fact, I've been using this illustration. Let's say, uh, I'll just use Maria for example. Let's say New Life has a cruise, okay? The New Life cruise, and all of us get to go. We're on this big cruise ship down in the the Mediterranean, and, and Maria is having so much fun that she falls overboard. Okay, so she's in the water, and it's a big cruise ship, so it takes like a half an hour for us to get it turned around and come back to her, right? So we're coming back to her, and somebody throws over a life preserver, and, and Maria, thanks, thanks, thankfully, the ocean's made out of salt water, so she's still floating there. She's not drowned yet. All right, so she reaches, down, she reaches out, and she puts the preserver around, and people pull her up, you know, and she gets up on the deck, and she goes, look at me. I grabbed the life preserver. Now, is that weird or what? You wouldn't do that, right? You would get out and you would hug the people who pulled you out and you would say, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And that's what Paul is saying. We don't boast about our salvation. We don't boast about how good we are because we aren't good. All we did was, you know, all we really did was let the life preserver, Jesus, save us. And so there's no boasting in that. And, but the cool thing is we are then transformed from dead sinners to God's masterpiece. And here's the coolest part. It says that we get to do good works. We get to do good works. He created them for us. Now, here's the thing. When my girls were little, let's say two and six, you know, they would make pictures for me. They would get out there, paper, you know, blank piece of paper, crayons, colored markers, whatever. You know, they would draw a picture for me, and they'd bring it to me, and they would say, here, Daddy, this is for you. And I'd say, oh, it's so beautiful. And then you know what the next question was. What is it? Well, Daddy, that's you pushing me on the swing. See the swing set? See, there's me. There's you. You're pushing me on the swing. You see? Oh, it's so beautiful. And then what did I do? I took the picture. Where did I put it? On the refrigerator, right? And every time we walk past, I go, oh, that's so beautiful. It's the ugliest piece of art you ever saw. <laughs> I mean, my girls were talented, not at, not at two. All right? God does the same thing. Once we are saved, once we've received this gospel, we have this new life and we struggle to do the right thing, right? We, we want to do the right thing and so we put our half-hearted, probably it's whole-hearted, but it just looks half-hearted because we're not there yet. And so we put our whole heart into it and, and we, we offer what we have to God and God looks at it and goes, oh, that is so beautiful. And God knows what it is because he's God and he puts it on his refrigerator. And every time he looks at it, he says, Wow. That is cool. They got it. Not, not, not they didn't get it because they're smart. They didn't get it because they're good. They got it because now my spirit is in them. And now they know that the, the good things that we do, it's sort of funny. We do good stuff and we feel free. 
when before we were doing good stuff and we were enslaved. In fact, you know why Jesus condemned the Pharisees? Not because of their good things. I mean, the Pharisees as a group of people were way better than most of us. The Pharisees, honest to God, they got up and they prayed for hours. They read the scriptures for hours. They gave money to poor people. I mean, as people go, the Pharisees were good, good, good people. But they missed the point. They did what they did so God would love them. That's religion. I do what I do because I already know God loves me. You know, I don't stand up here so you can do, you know, plus or minus, you know, 4.8 from the Russian judge. I don't care about what the Russian judge says. I don't care what the American judge says. Because I have the judge of the universe who loves me. Ten. You know why? Not because it's such a great sermon. Because it's the best I can do and I'm offering it to him. And when we wake up in the morning and we get that, it changes our lives. I was talking with a friend from Cincinnati. Actually, uh, she's like a sister to me. I worked in a church in Cincinnati when we first got into ministry. And she was talking about, she's 65 now and I'm 58 now. You know, and, I, and she, we were talking about retirement. And she said, you know, her boss came, called her into the office and said, Beth, you're 65. When are you going to retire? And she said, well, not for at least four or five more years. And he went, really? And she said, why would I retire? I'm doing what I love to do. I'm making a difference in people's lives. Why would I quit? You see, if we understand that we are free, then we don't use human parameters. I'm not saying you shouldn't retire. I'm just saying when you do, you better be doing something for Jesus because he created you for good works, right? So here we are. We are people who only are going to have three choices in our lives. We're going to live as a religious person, trying to do our best so God will love us. And we could be a Buddhist at that. We could be, you know, we could be a Muslim at that. We could actually even be an atheist at that. We don't believe in God, but we believe if we just do, you know, we'll get some good stuff back if we do good things. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, that leads to slavery. Or we could wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to do whatever I want. And that feels good for a couple days. But then we go down that path and pretty soon we feel like, man, my life doesn't have any point. And there is no point when we're living our life that way. And we end up in slavery. The only true freedom that we can know is when we trade religion or irreligion in for the gospel. When we wake up one day and say, Jesus, I don't understand how it all works. But wow. Wow. You died for me, really? You rose for me, really? You created all of this for my pleasure, really? And I get to live that way. Every single day. And, and you're going to put your spirit into me so I can actually do stuff that I can't do? Wow. Amazing. So here's today's commitment. It says, I will live as one freed and saved by Jesus this week. There's no better testimony on the planet than somebody who gets it, who understands that it's not goodness that brings us to God, that it's not our effort that brings us to God, that it's not our works that bring us to God, that there's nothing we have to boast about at all, but it's all God. It's all his grace. It's all his goodness. And that we get to have it. And that guy, that archaeologist up there on the mountain at Namso Lake, at the end of our conversation, he said to me, I, I don't agree with anything you've said. I don't agree with anything you've said, but I will give you this. I've never talked to one of you Christians who is as loving as you are, who seems to care as genuinely as much for me and the Tibetan people as, as you do. And, and I said, I saw that that, okay, <laughs> he doesn't believe anything I say. Might as well go to bed, right? 
So I said to him, could I pray for you? He said, are you going to pray in the name of Jesus? I said, yep. And he, he said, no, thanks, I'm good. I doubted that. But I, I prayed for him in the name of Jesus silently. And I excused myself and I went to bed. And here's the thing. We're going to go out into the world and, and we live in, in God's grace and we live in God's freedom. And we're going to find people all over the place who believe that their way is right. And they're going to believe that all ways are right. And they're going to believe that religion can save you. And, and we asked the question at the beginning of the message is, you know, is Christianity the only right religion and all the rest are wrong? Or is Christianity right? We didn't say religion, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about religion. Here's what I know about it, the gospel. I know that the gospel frees us and religion enslaves us and irreligion too. And so we have the opportunity to go out and interact with people. And will we do it perfectly? No. Will we do it even like 98%? Not very often. But God will receive all of it because we're doing it in His name, to His glory. And, and what will happen sometimes is people will get it. And when I say get it, I, I don't mean that they'll you know, have an intellectual like aha moment. I mean their heart will be changed. And they will, they will go, huh. There is a God who has a son named Jesus. That's the truth. And if you're sitting here today and you've never had that moment where you've just given in and said, I want to follow Jesus. I, I want to believe that, that he sent, that God sent his only son Jesus into the world, that anyone who believes in him will, will, will have eternal life. I, I'm just going to take that step of faith and say, that's true. And, and if you will do that today, you've never done it before, you do that today, it will radically change your life from the inside out. And for the rest of your life, you will have the opportunity to say yes to God but you'll still have the opportunity to say yes to religion or irreligion because God will give us what we want. said that last week. If you didn't see that, you can look it up online. But God will give us a new life. God will give us the ability to wake up every morning and go, wow. And some of you, God will give you the ability to go, wow, and then how? I'm so glad for the how people. I mean, I thank God every day that there's somebody that figured out what electricity was. I thank God every day that somebody figured out whenever you turn on this little, you know, little lever that hot water comes out. I'm so glad that somebody figured out how to get a car to actually work so that I don't have to ride a horse or a bicycle. I'm so glad for all the hows. But I'm sort of a wow guy in my heart. I actually don't care. Christians argue every day about how did God create the world, you know, argue with scientists about how it happened. I don't know how it happened. I don't care how it happened. You might be mad right now. I don't care. I mean, really, there's people dying and going to hell without Jesus. We're going to argue about how God created the universe. It's enough for me that he did. It's enough for me that the sun comes up every day and goes down every night. You know, and I know it doesn't really come up and go down. We're revolving around all that. I don't care. I mean, does it really change my life? No. It might change your life if you're a scientist. I'm not dissing science. You know, from the whole time, every, every one of these messages, I've said, I, I love science. I do. I'm actually glad there's science because causes and effects work, and, and that's why there's cars, and that's why there's houses and all that. And if you need your basement wired, call me up. I know how to do that, but I don't know how it works. But when you're done, if you're like me, you'll go, wow, it works. Okay. Today. If you've never, ever, ever accepted Jesus as the one true and living God, what do you really have to lose if you do it today? 
You have religion and irreligion to lose. That's all you have to lose. What do you have to gain? Everything. Everything that matters for now and forever. Rest of us. If Jesus came into your life some point when you were 6 or 12 or 15 or 28, I don't know what age, and you lived that way and you had the wow and wow and wow, but then one day you started doing the how and how and how and you never forgot the wow, quit it. Religion doesn't work. Never did, never will. Let's go out. Show them wow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you are the God who created everything and created us and love us even though we turn away from you and have our pictures on your refrigerator. God, I thank you today for those who might have been sitting here just now and realized they have everything to gain and so they said yes to you. God, I pray that you'd pour your spirit into them in a special way. And God, for all of us who at some point in our lives had the wonder of you in our lives, and maybe it's sort of fading, maybe it's tarnished, maybe it's not been used for a while, God, I pray that you will pour your spirit into us again so that we can serve you. Not because we have to, not because you love us if we do, but because we already know you love us and we just want to be with you. We want to please you. God, thank you that you're going to be pleased. Whatever our efforts, as long as they're done, in the name of Jesus and in your love, we ask this prayer in his name. Amen.